I'm Lisa Birnbach, and this is Five Things That Make Life Better. Well, I hope this week was easier for you than it was for me. Without going into too much detail, one of my exhibits was very sick and was hospitalized for five days. 46 blood tests, several MRIs, two COVID swab tests, x-rays, and other assorted diagnostic tools could not actually confirm what was wrong. I was beside myself. I wanted to fly out to see her. And of course, every time I thought of that, I realized that I, I couldn't, first of all, fly anywhere. It's not really safe. And then once I arrived there, I wouldn't be able to see her or her doctor. I'd have to put myself in total quarantine for 14 days. So it was very difficult. Our family's prayers were answered and my daughter is now out of the hospital and I think out of the woods, which made Mother's Day very poignant. Now listen, friends, I prayed for her. My other children prayed for her. We we did. We did everything we could. My brothers prayed for her. We we used everything in our brain and power to make a good outcome. And who knows if it helped? Maybe it helped in a spiritual or a cosmic way. But you know what? I believe in science. And as a kid, I don't know which I hated more, science class or math class. No, it was math. I hated math more. That's that's easy. But science, researchers... It just amazes me what they know and how much they have figured out. So the body is a miraculous creation, but a tiny itty bitty pill the size of your pinky fingernail can change your metabolism, correct your nervous system, lower your blood pressure, fix an ache, take down a fever. What I know about science fascinates me. If I were brighter, I would have majored in some form of biology, I guess. I wish, I wish I'd thought about it, but I didn't. My guest this week is a scientist. Her name is Maya Ajmera. She's the president and CEO of the Society for Science and the Public and the publisher of its award-winning magazine, Science News, a publication she grew up reading. Spreading scientific literacy has been one of her life's goals, and I wish I'd had a teacher like her in my young life. And now the five things that made my life better. Number one, my daughter's return to health. Number two, my daughter's return to health. Number three, my daughter's healing. Number four, Mother's Day with Exhibit C. We baked bread together. Number five, red wine. I'm drinking it now. Coming up, Maya Ajmera. You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. I'm Lisa Birnbach, and welcome to Five Things That Make Life Better. My guest today is a scientist. She was a science nerd in high school. She joined science fairs. She she probably was in all the classes I avoided and became a science entrepreneur 
sort of um, turning her back on the traditional MD-PhD path that her Indian American parents had had sort of predicted for her or wished for her. Uh, her name is Maya Ajmera, and she has worked as an entrepreneur, an investor, and now an award grantor in the science space for children for most of her career. Welcome, Maya. Thanks so much for having me, Lisa. I, I'm pleased to have you at a moment at which science could not be playing a more vital role in our lives, and yet is somewhat a provocative notion. As you know, we grew up knowing that science was how we learned that the world was round, that there was gravity, that there were inert gases, that night happened 12 hours after morning happened. Science is what gave us the Salk vaccine and penicillin. And I mean, I, I it was just understood amongst people that science was vital, even if it was hard to study. And even if it were really sort of occupied by guys. It was not very welcoming to women for a long time. And now we're at a moment where there's a president who thinks we should gargle with Lysol and maybe put flashlights under our skin and thinks he knows more than Dr. Fauci. So I'm sorry, I've politicized this at the get-go. I did not mean to do this. But only to underscore, Maya, how glad I am to talk to a scientist like you today. Well, Lisa, once again, thanks so much for having me. I I don't believe this is about politics. I think it's about, about lives, right? And I will tell you very straight on as the president and CEO of the Society for Science and the Public and publisher of Science News is this, there is a national crisis in this country around scientific literacy. I believe that there is a a huge amount of scientific illiteracy in this country. It was extremely painful at the beginning of COVID-19 to see how young people were flocking on the beaches or they were um, at the, um, you know, even here in DC, the Cherry Blossom Festival and the Cherry Blossoms had come out and Mayor Bowser had to come in and, and just put a stop to it. And just, you know, to me, what has been so interesting is how individual liberty has overridden our public health of our community, frankly. And that individualism is really uh, dangerous in this day, in, in, in the time that we're living in. And I'm, I'm concerned about that. Um, I believe in individual liberties just as much as anyone, but when it comes to protecting our communities and protecting the elderly and protecting ones that are immunocompromised and protecting our general population against COVID-19, we need to practice social distancing, okay? We need to practice and really think about what the CDC says, what Dr. Anthony Fauci has to say, what Dr. Deborah Burks has to say, and really read the journalism out there um, that's providing evidence-based, non-sensationalistic news stories about COVID-19. 
I take extraordinary pride in the fact that I'm publisher of Science News. Mm-hmm. We are one of the few newsrooms in this country of science beat journalists who have PhDs in their specific fields for virologists. We have a neurobiologist. We have a climate change reporter. This newsroom is working 24-7 on providing accurate, evidence-based science journalism on COVID-19. What's been really excruciating for me is to see how local journalism has been decimated. First of all, local journalism was being decimated before, right? Yes. Uh, For the last 10, 15 years, you've just seen newspaper companies get swallowed up or go out of business. And now with COVID-19, boy, it's it's at the serious breaking point. And one of the things I have taken great pride in is the fact that we have made our news stories for free to local newsrooms across the country around COVID-19, because we think this evidence-based journalism is absolutely critical right now. And I don't know, I don't know about you, but growing up, I just thought of our scientists and our doctors in almost a godlike way, right? And our Uh teachers, right? The respect they were revered. You you respected them. And I was taught that those three areas of scientists, doctors, and your teachers, that you respect and you listen very carefully as to what they have to say. And to see that respect disintegrating is, is very troubling to me. Well, one thing, I, I'm so old that when I was growing up, I really was, and I went to an all-girls school for nine years. I was really directed away from science and really directed into English and French and and sort of the more feminine uh, schools of study. Only a few girls were sent in the direction of math and science, and we didn't even use the term STEM in those days. I think I'm talking about the Depression era. It feels like it. But we did know about the Westinghouse Science Search, and we did know about Science Magazine, Science News. And and the funny thing is, is that when your teachers whom you respect sort of say, you know, Lisa, this isn't for you. Why don't you take another class on Victorian literature? You do that, and you don't even look at Science News. Subsequently, as an adult, I started reading about science and being fascinated, whether it's the Science Times on Tuesday, whether it's articles that have come from science news, from your publication, and then wonderful stories about the youth in this country who are inventive, who are Mm -hmm. inventors who are not intimidated, especially young girls like Alana Gassler, who we had on our show, who invented the solution to the car's blind spot and won your top prize this year. In middle I mean, school. <laughs> middle school. Right. Oh my God. I couldn't right. have I couldn't have spoken on a microphone, even if it were in my principal's office. I couldn't have done what she did. Anyway, there is amongst those who want to believe in science and have a modicum of, as you say, literacy, we understand we have to socially distance, we know we have to wash thoroughly, we know we have to wear a mask, and basically 
stay home to save lives. But there is a large segment of the society that either believes they are immortal right. or that it's been politicized and it's really a hoax or that just doesn't care, doesn't believe that a thin mask is the difference between life and illness. Other than standing on a street corner and screaming, right. I, I wish I knew how to make this point more clear. So can we take a couple of things you've said in a couple of buckets here? So yeah. let's talk about the girls in STEM issue, right? You're okay. absolutely right. Many generations of women were told no to science, right? They were said, you know, you need to do, or if it's no to, if you're going to do science, do nursing, right? Which nursing right. is a beautiful and important profession and Godspeed to every nurse. And there needs to be more nurses in this country. But yes. you couldn't elevate and think about becoming a neurosurgeon, right? Or becoming a scientist. Oh, you can't become a surgeon because then you can't have children. Right. At, 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 but something has changed, right, in the last right. 20 years. And we're starting to see the tipping point now where you are seeing many young women, girls, that are incredibly excited about science. And I really believe our non-formal education systems have done a great job in really inspiring girls to be uh, STEM leaders. I think, you know, the Society for Science and the Public, this has been a big thrust and push for us when we think about uh, our outreach, our community education and outreach to girls and to children in rural areas and to underserved kids and kids of color. But it's also places like Girl Scouts, right? Girl Scouts has a whole broad range of STEM badges. I remember when I was a Girl Scout, we didn't have STEM badges back then, right? right. Now you have STEM badges that you work on, on invention. I didn't even know that, yeah. On citizen science. So Girl Scouts, you know, has done a big push. The girls and boys clubs are doing their push. You know, CS for All, Computer Science for All, Girls Who Code, all of these organizations in the non-formal setting outside the school system has done an incredible job. And then I think there has just been a tipping point of seeing that more teachers are getting excited about teaching STEM to all their students. And we're seeing that with all of our education outreach programs that we do with teachers across this country. So I'm feeling very hopeful um, and Elena Gassler is one of those young women that from Broadcom Masters who won the top prize this year. Uh, that gives me great hope. Our top winner for the Regeneron Science Talent Search this year was a young Latina woman named Anna Humphreys. And she did an incredible project on exoplanets and was on, on an interview with NASA and now an undergraduate at Harvard. It has been an extraordinary couple of years for young women in STEM. And young women need great role models yes. um, in STEM. And those women are feeling enormous amount of responsibility to provide that feedback and reassurance and the cheerleading and, and the mentorship for young women to become a scientist or engineer or doctor or whatever the profession they choose. I'm really, you know, pleased to say that, you know, I, I'm feeling very proud today, Lisa. So, so, 
we put on, uh, since 1950, we've put on the largest pre-collegiate STEM competition in the world called the International Science and Engineering Fair. It brings, we have built over 420 affiliated fairs in 80 countries, regions, and territories. Millions of kids compete in science fairs around the world. The top kids come to our affiliated fairs, which is about 250,000 or more. The top kids of those fairs then compete at the International Science and Engineering Fair. About 2,000 kids come from all 50 states, urban and rural, and 80 countries to compete for $5 million in awards. We've been doing this since 1950. And for the first time, we had to cancel this year because of COVID-19. Okay, 10,000 people were going to converge in Anaheim, California. Instead, this is what you say when you have an extraordinary team, but in times of crisis, you pivot and you become entrepreneurial and you say, what can we do? So we're going virtual. Oh, great. So it's the virtual Regeneron International Science and Engineering Fair. It's going to happen between May 18th and the 22nd. Anyone can register in the world to hear from the top scientists, women and men, Nobel Prize winners, MacArthur Award winners, young people that have started their own companies. It is going to be five days of extraordinary programming where anyone in the world can become inspired to become a scientist or engineer. That's fantastic. And Maya, we will note that on our website at lisabernbach.com because it's open to one and all. That's right. And inspire one and all. That's correct. (laughs) And speaking of inspiring, when you were just a few years out of school, you started something called the Global Fund for Children, which took... I'm going to say this this old-fashioned word, but orphans and, and ruffians off the streets of slums all over the world and got them together with teachers. And whether they were begging on train platforms, the teacher would come to the train platform That's and correct. give them... Yeah a lesson and bring them a hot meal. And that inspired me so much when I saw your TED talk and, and, and it made me think of Malala, this, this tiny little girl who teenager who took a bullet for wanting to learn. I mean, it really does sort of make you wonder Americans or American kids, some are fantastic and some are just trying to cut school it's senior year, I'm going to cut school. And there are people in the third world who would do anything to go to class. So I was on my way. This is, I was 22 years old. I was on my way to get an MD PhD, uh, but I got a fellowship, a Rotary International Graduate Fellowship that uh, gave me the opportunity to travel from Thailand to Pakistan and study for a year in India. And it was during those travels that I came up on a train platform in India And I saw 50 kids sitting in a circle learning how to read and write. And these kids were obviously destitute and poor, but they were so intent on learning. And I asked the teacher, I speak Hindi, and and she spoke the native local language, Aurea, but we were able to communicate. And she told me that those kids lived on and around the train platform. They begged, they slept, they ate, they played, but they didn't go to school. So a social entrepreneur named Inderjeet Karana brought the school to the train platform. And I asked the teacher, I said, what does it cost to run one of these schools with 50 kids and two teachers every day? She said it costs about $500 a year to educate about 50 kids and give them a hot meal. 
And it was there that I say I had my moment of obligation. Yes. So how do you how do you invest small amounts of capital into really innovative grassroots organizations led by really courageous leaders around the world? And I was only 22 years old and right. I took a big leap and decided to found the Global Fund for Children and we invested small amounts of capital throughout the world in over 800 NGOs. And to date, uh, the organization is now run by an extraordinary person named John Hecklinger. But the Global Fund for Children has now invested almost $50 million in, oh in, in over 800 NGOs, really helping many of them become sustainable and, and scalable and having the voice of the grassroots of these leaders, especially providing girls education, working on issues of trafficking and child prostitution, providing education to the children that need it most. You know, sometimes, Lisa, um, the, the, the global headquarters of Global Fund for Children is about five blocks away from the headquarters of the Society for Science of the Public. And I'll walk by the office and I'll, I'll, I'll just revel in the fact it's like, Dag, I built that. Yes. Wow. And, and it's kind of like almost an out-of-body experience, but it's extraordinary. And, and, you know, and people say, how did you go from Global Fund for Children to the Society for Science and the Public? And leading that and becoming entrepreneurial in that effort. And I say, and I think about the famous graduation speech by, by Steve Jobs at Stanford. And he said something really interesting. He said, you can never connect the dots looking forward, but you can connect the dots in your life looking backwards. And so what I'm doing today, everything that I've done since I was in sixth grade, working in a botany lab, reading science news, competing in science fairs, competing in the Westinghouse Science Talent Search, being a neuroscience major, building a nonprofit organization, working with young people, children and youth, and now leading a scientific institution, I'm exactly where I need to be today. But it's really cool when you start connecting the dots backwards. To see where you are now. Oh my! This is the this is the role you were meant to have for sure. I just want to ask you one last question sure. before we go to your five things. I've noticed that you say this was my moment of obligation, and I am wondering why you call it that and not your moment of inspiration. You know, that's a good question. For me, it was also. Being of my parents um, being immigrants from India and growing up in Eastern North Carolina as uh, for my whole childhood, that seeing those juxtapositions of poverty and of need was very great, and it and it felt it was inspiring, but it was also this obligation that of public service and needing to give back. Like mm -hmm. there was no looking back, right? That this right. was what I had to do. And so one might call it a moment of inspiration, but it was also that moment of obligation as well. So in other words, you almost had no choice. I had it no choice. To you and it was and it was the right thing to do. And I have to say, I just love the idea that as a teenager or even a, a, a preteen, you were reading science news. And now you publish science news. It's really amazing. It's it's really cool, actually. It's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. Well, Maya, I could talk to you for hours and hours, and I'm particularly grateful that we are talking during this 
giant, giant scientific medical crisis. But it's still possible to have things that make life better, which is, I, I guess, the point of this podcast. And you have given us a wonderful list. So I'm hoping that we can talk about those five or six things. Sure. Okay. So your number one thing. Uh, the ability to pivot quickly and be entrepreneurial in a time of great challenges. As I said before, we are going uh, virtual with the uh, Regeneron International Science and Engineering Fair, so anybody can be part of it. Two, leading a newsroom yeah. that's providing critical coverage of COVID-19. Again, if you want to read evidence-based journalism, go to sciencenews.org. It's providing really great coverage. That's, that's definitely going to be highlighted on our website, too. Three is having meals as a family every day. During these seven weeks, I have to tell you, I've cherished having breakfast, lunch, and dinner with my seven-year-old daughter and husband. My husband and I have two very heavy, busy, full-time jobs, and sometimes we haven't been home to have dinner or breakfast uh, with, with Talia. So I'm feeling very blessed about that time, and yeah. Yeah, no, I think, I think the family meal has, has made a very strong comeback. That's right. COVID-19, yes. Um, I'm thankful for telemedicine. My mother is going through chemotherapy, and she and my dad have been isolated, even though they live only 15, 20 minutes away from me. Our doctor now from Johns Hopkins gets online and has phone calls with my mother, and we have family conference calls with our doctor. Oh, and great. it's been very comforting. Um, yes. It's like having a house call in a way. That's correct. Got to say the delivery services, thankful for Instacart, DoorDash, Caviar. We order food from our favorite restaurants on Saturday nights. And I'll just say I salute the people who are helping with shopping and delivering groceries during this time. They are our frontline workers. And I try to give pretty big tips as much as I can. Yes, us too. And also, that's funny. We do that for Saturday night as well. It's Saturday night. It's ordering it's out. That's night. correct. With, yeah. with, 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 our, with, my, with my glass of martini. That's, uh-huh. that's what happens Saturday night. I'm going to toast you with my martini Saturday too. Totally. And then lastly, I would just say, during this time of enormous disruption, giving of time, treasure, and talent to those in need has been really important to me. Faith plays a large part of this for me, but I just feel incredibly blessed to be in a place to have resources and to make sure that um, I provide my time, that I make sure that I'm, I'm donating and writing the checks that I need to, to write to to the people who are most in need. I just can't say enough that public service has never been more important than right now. And Again, I, I just salute our frontline workers during this time, our doctors, our nurses, our delivery folks, the people at the grocery stores, the ones that are still picking up our trash. God bless them. Uh, you know, I, I just, uh, God bless our public servants. I, I, I think it's a great list. It's a, a, it's a great list. And I am so honored to have spoken to you, Maya. I think that what you do is terrific. We have been also honored to talk to your young prize winner to think again. I just want to, because I got a little bit of a chill when I said you were reading science news as a kid. 
you now publish science news. Your mission in life is to spread education, STEM education, fact-based education. We have never needed it more than now. Thank you so much for being a guest on Five Things That Make Life Better. Lisa, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Five Things That Make Life Better with me, Lisa Birnbach. My guest this week has been Maya Ajmera, President and CEO of Society for Science and the Public and publisher of Science News. You can follow Maya on Twitter at Maya Ajmera and also at societyforscience.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Each positive review helps new listeners find our show. My blog is at lisabernbach.com where you'll find links and photos to all the things in this program. This podcast is produced in New York City by thefieldtv.com. My engineer is Kevin Watkins. My team is Spressa Arucci, Michael Port, Boko Haft, and Sam Haft. Until next week, keep your mask on, but act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers.